Well, last week we looked at angels and demons. Some of you may have felt like it took us a week to look at angels and demons. And uh, today we're going to continue with what is Satan. Now, before we do that, I want to go back actually to last week and look at a couple of, uh, can I call them fun questions? We looked at a lot of things about angels and demons last week, but maybe not even some of the things that come to your mind when you think of angels and demons. And so I know I've heard several questions, got emailed several questions, and just want to answer a couple of those real briefly. Uh, everyone's favorite, I think, when we talk about angels is, do we have a guardian angel? It's a good question. That idea, that concept kind of comes from probably Matthew 18, uh, verse 10. Jesus is speaking there and he's talking about children and their care. And, and he makes the statement that these children have angels watching over them. Now, I would say a couple of things about that passage. One, he's not referring to every person on the planet. He is saying these children. He's referring to children. And he's just saying in general that angels are watching over them. He doesn't actually specifically say, not only Jesus, but I don't know of anywhere else in Scripture, that each human being is assigned a specific angel or vice versa. Each angel is assigned a, a specific individual human being to watch over. Now you're saying, oh, oh, but I, I love the idea of, of my angel following me around. Well, now don't get nervous. I'm not saying you're not being watched over. As a matter of fact, what the Scripture teaches is that Yahweh, the Lord God, the Creator of heaven and earth, He watches over you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. The Bible says He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. You are always being watched over. You are always being protected. And yes, God uses angels as a part of that work. So you are being watched over by angels. I think we can say that definitively from Scripture. Another very important question. We can't move on into the week without knowing this. Do angels, all angels, have wings? You know, I would say, remember last week, we talked about angels being a spirit being. That means they're immaterial. They don't have a physical body. Yet almost, not every time, but almost every time, they physically manifest themselves so that we see them in Scripture. Uh, yes, they do often have, have wings. So I would say it's a, it's a safe bet. I don't, I don't know that we should bet on that, but if, if they're betting that angels have wings, that's, that's probably a good bet to go to. Uh, along that same lines, do all angels look the same? Interesting question. I got asked that more than once. Uh, I would say probably not. Just as God made all fish, but they don't all look the same. And God made all the birds, and they don't all look the same. God made all humans, and we don't look the same. You remember how we ended last week talking about the creativity of our God? I think it's a safe assumption of angels that not only do they look different, but they have their own personality and characteristics uh, much like we do. Another question, kind of an interesting, what about ghosts, haunted houses, seances, fortune telling, these kinds of things, are they always related to the demonic world? Uh, I would tend to say in about every case, yes. Whether it's true or whether it's a hoax, whether it's real or fake, it is still demonic driven. Now you can break those down and look at them a couple of different ways. Fortune telling and seances are strictly forbidden in Scripture. It doesn't matter if what's happening there is real or what's happening there is fake. It's forbidden. We have no business being in that, around it, anywhere near it. We're to stay away from it. Uh, as far as haunted 
things. The scripture doesn't refer at any time to a place or to a thing being haunted. So I, I don't know that I, I mean, I'm trying to let scripture define how I look at life in every issue. So if scripture doesn't speak to it, if it says nothing about it, I can only assume it's either A, completely unreal, or B, I'm not directed to give any attention or thought to it. And somewhat the same about ghosts. Now, there's a couple of things in Scripture that might look like, is that a ghost? Is that a ghost type thing? Uh, and I don't know that I would refer to those things as ghosts. We have several times in Scripture where somebody comes back from the dead. They're not demons. I think every single time it's a, it's a good person coming back, like Moses, Elijah. Uh, different people will come back like that. But those are not ghosts, but things like that. Again, I would put ghosts in the same area of hauntings. Uh, the Scripture does not direct us to go look for it, define it, explain it, understand it. Uh, if anything like that is out there, I say you leave it in God's hands. It's, it's an, under His control. Um, another question, can angels sin and can demons still be saved? And the answer to that question is no, in both cases. They've already been through their judgment. They, are, they were created holy, but they were also created as free beings. They had a place of choice. And for them, as I understand it, their place of choice was at the rebellion of Satan. When, when Satan rebelled, and I'm elaborating here, but when Satan rebelled, it appears that God basically turned to the angelic realm and said, anybody want to go with them? And uh, tradition teaches there's one passage in Revelation that would seem to imply that about a third of the angelic realm made the choice to go with Satan. Well, that was their judgment. That's when it happened. They moved into eternal condemnation and, and they, they will no longer be saved. And those that chose to stay with God or to follow God were, I guess for lack of a better word, locked into their goodness, locked into that good decision. It, no different for you and I. Our time of choice is right now. But when we go through that door of death, the choice is locked. You've got this life to make that decision. But when you enter the door of death, if you go through that and you're lost, you're not a child of God, you are eternally lost. You are eternally condemned. And for those who are children of God and will go to heaven, we will then be locked into goodness, locked into holiness, and we will no longer sin. So the angels have already been through what, what we will one day go through. So their, their status is set. Now, that's just a few questions I thought I'd run by. Uh, you know, certainly last week, and I would say for the most part in every sermon uh, I'm preaching in this, more than likely there's a whole lot more questions than I'm, I'm giving answers to. Uh, and that's a big part of what this series is about, is to kind of inspire us and challenge us and say, man, there's, there's actually a lot in here that is said and communicated and hopefully periodically one of these grabs your interest and you dive in and do a little bit more study on your own and search out, dig out some of those answers whether you're going to the, the passages that I refer to or some of the recommended reading. We, we want to grow. We want to learn. Today we come, we, we, we take on the person of Satan. Now if you remember what I said last week, Satan's an angel. 
He became a demon in his rebellion. So for the most part, we've already studied Satan. When we looked at angels and demons, everything that was true about them last week is true of the person of Satan this week. We are going to take time, though, to look a little bit more specifically into his life and to what happened with him, what he's doing right now, and where he is going. Before we do that, though... I want to lay a little bit of a groundwork, some operating principles for how you and I battle Satan, how we stand up against Satan. In other words, before we get freaked out by Satan, I want, I want to give us all the encouragement. We can handle this guy. Nothing to be afraid of here. Uh, nothing to worry about here if we put in place these operating principles. Number one, first operating principle as we study the, the person of Satan is to realize we do have an enemy and his goal is to destroy you. Satan has a specific goal of destroying your life. And he is daily looking for that opportunity. Folks, the scripture communicates that over and over and over. And for you to live a single second, to make a single decision, not in light of that fact, just sets you up as easy prey. You're just making Satan's job easy when you're not living in light of that reality. You have an enemy. He is looking for how he can trip you up. Obviously, the biggest way uh, that we play into his hands is when we sin. When, when we sin, it's like leaving the front door of our house open. He, he, he just can come on in at that point. Second operating principle, very important. Jesus is stronger Greater is Jesus who is in us than Satan who is in the world. Now that does require that we stay in Jesus, right? That requires that we remain in Him, which means we stay away from sin. So greater is the one who's in us. This is where we've got nothing to fear, nothing to worry. We remain connected to Christ. And I would really encourage you to, to check out uh, those First John passages. They're really very straightforward, very clear, very profound, very tough. Uh, check out those. And then the last one. When you do sense, and I'm not defining what I mean by that. I'm just saying when you sense that you're in the realm of the demonic, the satanic, when, when you feel like you're seeing Satan at work, what do you do? Man, you remain in Christ. That means I stop and I take stock. Am I in Christ? Am I, are my sins confessed? Am I choosing godliness and holiness? I remain in Christ. I put on the armor of God and I pray. That's it, folks. You, you take those three things and you're set and you're ready to go. Now, having said that, I realize there's a lot to unpack in those three statements. Each one of those statements could be a sermon. And uh, we're not going to do that today, but I put those there for you. And I challenge you, man, write them down. Go home, read those passages, study them. Pray through them. Ask God what you're to do with them. And folks, I really believe that, that these points, these passages are straightforward. And you will know exactly what you need to be doing tomorrow, this week, every day of your life to make sure you're prepared for anything that Satan might try to bring against you. So we've got some operating principles in mind. We, we know how to handle him. So let's move forward and, and let's get a description of Satan. Now I'm going to read a description to you that's probably a little bit different than any way you've ever heard Satan described. Look at this with me. Donald Gray Barnhouse is a, a, a old pastor from another generation, great pastor and theologian. He says, he's speaking of Satan, he awoke in the first moment of his existence in the full-orbed beauty and power of his exalted position, surrounded by all the magnificence which God gave him. 
He saw himself as above all hosts, that's angels, all hosts in power, wisdom, and beauty. Only at the throne of God itself did he see more than he possessed. And it's possible that even that was in some sense not fully visible to the eye of the creature. Before his fall, he may be said to have occupied the role of prime minister for God, ruling possibly over the universe, but certainly over this world. This angel, this being whom you and I know as Satan, was an incredible creature. I mean, literally, he had everything but the throne of God. How did such an incredible creature become such a hideous monster, such a hideous demon? Well, folks, the answer to that question is in one word, and it is the same word that will lead you and I down into the darkness in which Satan, Satan resides. And that one word is pride. Pride. I deserve. You owe me. I don't have to listen to you. I can do what I want. Everybody in this room has probably made every single one of those statements. And maybe there was a, I don't know, a right and appropriate reason to make that statement. But those statements are the statements that become stair steps, building blocks, if you will, ultimately to you saying, I am God. Let's look at a biblical description now of the person of Satan. Turn with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, we don't get by Ezekiel a whole lot. There's a lot of good stuff in this book. It's a lot like Revelation. Ezekiel is kind of like the book of Revelation in the Old Testament. Um, if you can get to Psalms, kind of the middle of your Bible, the middle of the Old Testament there, and uh, we're going to read some interesting passages. If you don't have a Bible, use one of ours there in a, in a chair in front of you. If it's not right in front of you, I'm sure somebody will hand it to you if you point to one. But these are, these are pretty interesting passages. But get to Psalms and then just start heading to your right. There's quite a few books there, but you'll travel through some big ones. Isaiah, Jeremiah... Then you'll run into Ezekiel. Ezekiel 28. I'm going to begin reading in verse 11. Ezekiel 28. Verse 11. It says there, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, lament for the king of Tyre, and say to him, This is what the Lord God says. Now it starts off sounding like this passage is talking to the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre is a bad dude. He's about to receive the full judgment of God. And if you read the first 10 verses of chapter 28, it really is aimed and directed at the king of Tyre. But as we move into what is getting ready to be said about the king of Tyre, it's pretty clear there's no way this is about a man. There's going to be statements, there's going to be references here that not only can it not be talking about the king of Tyre, it can't even be talking about a man. I believe in this passage what is happening is God is addressing in His judgment the power, the evil, the influence that is behind the king of Tyre. So let's see who this is. It's Satan. This is what the Lord God says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, Perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, that can't be said of the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every kind of precious stone covered you. Carnelian, topaz, and diamond. Beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise, and emerald. Your mountings and settings were crafted in gold. This guy's a walking jewelry store, isn't he? 
They were prepared on the day you were created. Now look at this. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Remember we studied cherubs last week? Cherubim. This is a high class of angels, a, a group of angels that reside in the throne room of God. They're attendants to the holiness of God. And of these cherubs, which are in and of themselves a, a high class of angels, he's the anointed one, the picked one, the chosen one among that group. You are an anointed guardian cherub, for I had appointed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. From the day you were created, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you. Through the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I expelled you in disgrace from the mountain of God and banished you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud because of your beauty. For the sake of your splendor, you corrupted your wisdom. So I threw you down to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings." Man, what an, he's an incredible creature, isn't he? I mean, you look at that and you think, how did that happen? Why would that happen? Folks, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, this angel had everything. But as he looked at all that he had, all that he possessed, all that he was, instead of giving gratitude to God, and oh my gosh, we could just stop right now and enter a whole nother sermon. Folks, giving thanks is not a little issue. The power of gratitude, the protection of gratitude in your life is, I'll guarantee you, a thousand times bigger than you think it is. Gratitude is very important. It acknowledges God. It recognizes. It praises God. It exalts God. And it keeps you from exalting yourself. Gratitude is powerful. And that's pretty much led, what led to all this. Instead of seeing everything that he had and giving gratitude or seeing everything that he had and, and being humbled. Why would God pick me? Why do I get to be the anointed? Why do I possess all of this? Instead of gratitude and humility, it led him to pride. Folks, he had everything. He was everything except the throne. All he could see is what he didn't have. And that pride began to consume his life. I want you to see how this pride works. Turn with me now. Go back to the left. Go back to one of those big books you traveled through and go to Isaiah. Go back through Jeremiah and uh, you'll end up there in Isaiah. Go to chapter 14. Isaiah 14. We're going to begin in verse 12. We're going to watch... What was going on in Satan's mind? He had all of this. We know it's pride. What was he thinking? What was he doing? Isaiah 14, verse 12. Now, my translation starts off by saying, shining morning star. Your translation may say bright one. It may say day star. Probably the most literal interpretation of the Hebrew would be bright one. Uh, and then both the Hebrew and the Greek, the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into a Greek Old Testament. And pretty soon the entire Greek Bible was translated into a Latin Bible. And for centuries, what believers, what the church used was a Latin Bible. And when, in the Latin, when they translated this from Hebrew into Latin, the word they used right there was Lucifer. 
Lucifer is a Latin word. Uh, King James takes that word. It doesn't translate it. It just brings that word right over into, into the English text in the King James. And so you wonder where did the word Lucifer come from? It, it's that verse right there. Lucifer means the bright one, the shining one, the illuminous one. So it says there in verse 12, shining morning star, how you have fallen from the heavens, you destroyer of nations, you have been cut down to the ground. You said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you will be brought down to Sheol into the deepest regions of the pit. Did you, did you hear those five I will statements? You wonder, what, what was he doing? What was he thinking? What happened? Well, we see it right here in this passage. This is exactly what was in the heart and mind. Let's look at these five I will statements again. The first one, I will ascend to heaven. Kind of a strange thing because as the anointed guardian of cherub, he already had access to heaven. He already had access to the throne room of God. There's just one thing he didn't have. Equality with God. When he's saying, I will ascend to heaven, he's already there. He's saying, I want the one spot God sits. He says, I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Now that word stars of God could mean he's just saying, I, I want to rule over the heavenly realms, the sun, the moon, the stars. But that word phrase, stars of God, in a couple of places in Scripture is a reference to angels. Now at this point in time, when this thought process is happening, there's not an earth, there's not human beings, there's, there's the angelic realm. So quite possibly what Satan is saying in this moment is, I want to rule over the created order. I, I want to rule over my, my fellow angels. And again, by his position, he probably already had a lot of that rule, but he saw a ruler above him. Didn't like that. I will sit on the amount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. Kind of a cumbersome phrase, isn't it? And understanding the, the literature of that day, what's being alluded to there is basically government. And he's saying, I want to govern the universe. Then he says, I will ascend above the height of the clouds. Uh, as you go through both the Old and the New Testament, quite often clouds are associated with the glory of God. If you remember, they built the tabernacle, and when God's presence went into the tabernacle, it filled up with what? Clouds. When they built the temple, and God's presence moved into that temple, it filled up with clouds. We go to Revelation. Again, clouds are often associated with the glory of God. So what Satan is saying here is, I want the glory. I want to be above God's glory. I want all that glory coming to me. And then the last statement, I will make myself like the Most High. You might remember back when we kind of started all this, we, we spent a sermon on the names of God. And one of those names was El Elyon, the Most High God. It, it's a reference to His sovereignty. It's a reference to His strength. So in this statement, Satan is saying, I want the rule, the authority, and the power of of God. Again, remember folks, he possesses almost everything, but he wants the position of God. Now watch what Satan does. Unlike God, Satan is not creative. He's very, very monotonous in the way he does things. So he comes, God does create a planet in a world. He does create human beings. And somewhat like with Satan, guess what God gave mankind? Everything. The entire planet is yours. And you're, you want rule? 
It's yours. You're going to rule over this planet. You're going to rule over the animal kingdom. You're going to rule over everything that is. But God said, there's one thing that's not yours. The tree. Now, you know, you scratch your head and say, gosh, Lord, seems like if you wouldn't have put that tree there, this would have not have all happened. You know, remove the temptation and there's no problem. But you know what? You and I are created in the image of God. We're not animals. We don't live by instinct. We don't live by just stimuli. We are free beings. And we have the freedom to choose to worship and to obey the one true God. But now to freely choose that means what? It means we have the free choice to do something less than that. We can freely choose not to worship and obey. And so Satan comes to them. Remember, we've got everything, but Satan starts to lure and tempt them into thinking, you know what? God's holding out on you. You know what? Oh yeah, sure, God gave you everything, but the best thing is that tree. And he begins to twist what God has said and make, make it look like God has not been good. And then listen to this statement out of Satan's mouth. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be, look at number five, and you will be like God. In other words, Satan is saying, you know what? God's held out on all of us. Follow me. We'll be gods ourselves. We can take the throne. And we did. We thought, yeah, that, that sounds pretty good. I mean, yeah, sure, God's given me everything. He's never failed me. I don't have any reason to doubt Him. But you know what? I think I would do better as God. I, why would I follow His rules? I'm going to do what I want. And we followed Satan down into his rat hole. Folks, God's not holding anything out on us. God has not deceived us. God has not tricked us. He has given us everything we need. He's never been anything but good. But you and I and our freedom step back and say, you know what, I can handle this. I, I can do better on my own. I can be God. And, and, and God does not want to see us make that decision because, folks, when we say, I'm God, I can do what I want, and I know you're, you say, wait, no, wait a minute. I've, I've never actually uttered those two sentences. I'm God, I can do whatever I want. Folks, every time you sin, that's what you're saying. You see, pride is the mother of all sins. Because in that moment, there's, you know, there's something to do right here. There's tell the truth, forgive, um, be kind, uh, whatever. And, and I'm looking at that command and I'm saying, no. That's not the best thing right here. That's not what I should do in this moment, in this place. I know better what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You're saying, I'm God. I am rebelling against God. I reject God. I know more and I can do better. And folks, this planet and every problem in it is the result of mankind saying, I'm God, I can do better. Now, if we're going to say that, that means at that moment we're stepping into the character. We're stepping into the, the purpose of Satan. Now, if you're going to step into that, if you're going to step onto his path and go where he's going, you might want to know where that path leads. And Jesus said very specifically where that path leads. He says, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire. Prepared for who? The devil and his angels. If you step onto that path, that path has a conclusion. And folks, God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't give us His law to keep us from having fun. 
He doesn't give us his law because he's trying to hide what is really good in life. He gives us this because he knows that to reject it, it ends up in a bad conclusion. The Bible very clearly says God takes no pleasure in seeing a single person go to hell. He takes no pleasure in seeing people perish in the flame. So he protects us from Satan. But he doesn't force us. He doesn't lock us in to make us do what he wants. He gives us a free choice. Do we want to step into the character, the activity of Satan? You know, I mentioned a moment ago... uh, Back at the beginning of this series, we took a whole sermon to look at the names of God because in those names we, we learned a lot about God. We learned about His character and activity. Well, the, the same is true for Satan. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole sermon looking at the names of Satan, but Satan does have quite a few names. Look at all these. You see the name, you see the meaning, you see the passage. And remember, you can go to our website, click on the sermon logo, what is, and you can download this. But you see the names there, Satan, devil, evil one, the great red dragon, probably where the the red suit and the pitchfork comes from, Uh, serpent of old, Beelzebul, Enemy, tempter, murderer, liar, accuser, prince of the power of the air. Now, folks, we would look at those things. We would look at those names. We would look at those meanings and say, well, I'm not like that. And I don't want to be like that. Folks, the smallest lie is what puts you on that path. He is the father of lies. Greed, anger, envy. It's Satan that gets a foothold in anger, not God. It is Satan that uses anger to consume your life. He's the the murderer. He's the accuser. So if we're going to step onto that path, we better know what we're joining. Now, folks, this is not, again, what God has for us. Now, when you look at this, you look at, gosh, what we read in Ezekiel 28, and this is how we ended up. You might look at that and think, well, why did God even allow that? Why did God make him to begin with? Or if God made him good, why did, he, why did he allow him to become this? Again, remove Satan, remove the tree, and it seems like just a lot of this mess is cleaned up. Folks, that's where I go back to the freedom that God has given you and I. You know, first of all, folks, Satan is not getting away with anything. He is limited, he is absolutely limited in what he can do. Satan cannot do anything that God doesn't allow. Now that right there is a big statement to get your your brain around. You're saying, wait a minute, you're saying the things Satan has done, God has actually allowed? Yeah, he has. And he only allows what he is going to turn to serve his purposes and what he's doing in this world. You can check Job 1 and 2 as kind of a text that kind of explains and proves uh, what I just said there. But Satan is not getting away with anything, folks. God is going to turn Satan's rebellion back on him. He's going to turn mankind's rebellion back on him. He gave us the freedom to worship and obey or the freedom to follow Satan just like those angels and say, I think I can be God myself. And folks, again, everything on this planet from war and disease and disaster right down to a bad day and the sniffles. Where does every bit of that come from? It all comes from us saying, you know what, I can do better here. You know, and I, folks, I guarantee you, probably almost none of us has ever looked at a single day in our life and felt like what we were saying is, God, I can do better than you right here. But folks, in every single sin, that's exactly what we're saying to Him. We don't want to be on Team Satan. That has a future. That has a direction. That is a choice. 
that you made. See, you and I might like to debate whether people deserve to go to hell. Whether this sin or that sin, really, folks, it's not an issue of which sin it is or how many sins it is. When you and I step onto the path of sin, we're saying, I'm on team Satan. I'm choosing his character, his activity, his purpose and ways. And that has a result. And God has done everything to warn us from that, of that result. God has done everything to save us from that result. Now, let's finish up with just a, a couple of a quick basic questions. Is Satan real? Absolutely. He is totally real. He is as real as the person next to you. I didn't say he was the person next to you. Okay, don't I say, I knew you were, I knew you were him. No, he's real. Uh, is he in hell? Don't, you all, don't we always kind of picture Satan down in hell? He's got a fiery throne and there's all this. Satan's not in hell. Hell is a future event. Hell is a future judgment. Right now, Satan has access to roam the world, to roam the universe. Satan has access to God. They talk regularly. So that's where Satan is. Well, what's he doing while he's roaming around? Well, he's doing a couple of things. One, he's seek, he is deceiving and destroying human lives. And his goal is not to destroy you. But by destroying you to thwart the plans and purposes of God. His desire is to fight God. And he does that by seeking to deceive and destroy you. And then his other big activity is he's an accuser. Now this is really unfair. But if you're going to be on team Satan you need to know something. He never plays fair. But Satan, what does he do? He lures us, he tempts us into sin, and the moment you and I grab the sin, you know what he does? He runs straight to heaven, grabs God, says, do you see that? Do you see that? Satan's the original legalist. He goes before God and he says, do you see what they're doing? You're righteous, you're holy, you have to judge that. They're mine, is what Satan is saying. You have to judge them for that. Now you know what? If we're not a child of God... He's right. God does have to judge that. That's what justice does. Justice is always fair. Justice never turns the other way at wrongdoing. Justice always responds to wrongdoing. God is just. God is holy. So if we're not a child of God, then that brings judgment. But if you're a child of God, you remember, we looked at this already when we looked at the person of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, 1 John chapter 2. We have a defense lawyer. And as Satan is accusing us, Jesus steps up and says, Father, that's been paid for. And this one right here is in right standing with you. And there's nothing more Satan can do at that point. But you can be sure he is seeking to accuse you. And lastly, what's his future? Well, we've already looked at that. His future is the lake of fire for him, his angels, and for all those who choose to be on his team. And that kind of leads to one big massive question, doesn't it? Whose team am I on? We know what we want to say verbally, but I don't want you to think about what you would say verbally. I want you to look back over the last week, over the last month, over the last year. What is the character and activity of your life? Is it team God or is it team Satan? You know what we do? We want to run for cover. We're looking for a third option, aren't we? I mean, I, I, you know, I know I'm not living perfect. I know, I know I'm not quite like Team God, but I, I sure don't want to be said I'm on Team Satan and we're looking for the third option. There's no third option. Folks, I've searched for it from Genesis to Revelation. There's not a third option. You're a child of God or you're a child of Satan. One or the other. There is no other place. 
The, the team Satan, remember all those names? He's not your friend. He will not take care of you. He is a destroyer. You know, as I learn about Satan, you know what overwhelms me? Is how good and how safe it is to follow Christ. The safest place on the planet is just right lock and step with Jesus. I mean, just stepping right into the same steps he would take. Seeking to live his character, his activity, and his life. It is the safest place when you've got a person like Satan running around. Now, I want you to know something. I said safest. I didn't say the easiest. It's not the easiest place to be. Satan will try to offer you what looks to be, what appears to be the easiest Following Christ is not the easiest. It takes faith, takes commitment, takes courage. I would say at times following Christ will cost you. Satan will tell you it will never cost you to follow me without even realizing it's going to cost you everything for all eternity. Safest place to be is right in the footsteps of Jesus. See folks, here comes the battle of which team I'm going to be on. Because you start thinking about the decisions you're making in life. And you know, well, that's not quite the decision Jesus would make. But I don't want to make that decision. I'm tired of trying to make that decision. I'm, I'm tired of what was happening there. Safest place to be is right in the steps of Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, would you give us faith. Help us to believe God, give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Give us a mind that discerns what is the voice of Satan. When he's luring, when he's tempting, when he's twisted what you've said and what you're doing. When he's got me thinking that I know better what to do in this moment. Oh God, let me see. That's a team choice and that team has a future. God, I not only pray that everybody in this house is on Team Jesus, I pray for the courage, the faith, the boldness to live like it. In every word, in every thought, in every decision, in every action, may we be Team Jesus. With nothing to fear, even though there is an incredible, awesome, powerful enemy in this world. It's in Jesus powerful name we pray. Amen.